Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. Hope this has been just an amazing week for everybody. Had a great week myself and I got a couple of really neat messages and I wanted to share one of them with you. I didn't get the person's permission to use their name, so I'll leave that out. I really was touched by this. It's the exact reason I do this show. It starts out, hello there, my name is blank and I'm 31 year old single parent who lives in the UK. I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your fantastic podcast. I got diagnosed with psoriatic axial spondyloarthritis three months ago after a three-year battle of docs ignoring me. Even though I couldn't walk and having found your podcast, it's honestly like listening to an old friend who knows exactly what I'm going through. As you know, it's an isolating disease. I feel so much less alone now because of you and your advice. It's fantastic. It's so consistent and informative. You literally have covered every topic question I could have thought of. Anyway, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for all of your work you do. It's unbelievably appreciated by me and everyone who finds the podcast. Well, you know who you are. I thanked you. This is the exact reason I do this show is so that folks like you and everybody else listening can and not feel so alone, feel connected. I know what it's like growing up with this and being the only person you know with it. And as a kid, having nowhere to turn to, reach out to, as I do this, I hope you can find some commonalities, some laughter, some tears, some joy, and just an overall sense that you're not alone in this, that you are in this with a bunch of others, and we're all here for you. We're all here to support you. With that, let's take a look at today's show. I'm going to do something a little bit different. As the show title goes, it's about axial spondyloarthritis. And when you have axial spondyloarthritis, there can be one of two stages that you fall in for clinical diagnosis. One is non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. That's where you have all the pain, all the symptoms, all the conditions, but no visible damage to spine, to SI joints, to really anything in the process of probably getting it, I guess is the best way to say, probably getting that damage. There's still not a direct link to does somebody with non-radiographic eventually get the what's called ankylosing spondylitis or is it just, you know, is it a common disease that morphs and grows along a plane or is it really two separate conditions? I personally believe that it morphs and changes and develops into ankylosing spondylitis, which is why it's so important to use that terminology of axial spondyloarthritis when you're talking with your doctor for diagnosis. But there's not the actual research to back that up yet, but hopefully one day it'll come along. In today's episode, you're going to hear me mention the terminology ankylosing spondylitis a lot. And that's because we're looking at neck pain today. And neck pain is generally thought to be one of the more severe and later on symptoms, I guess is the best way to put it, that you would develop with AS, with ankylosing spondylitis. The reason it's considered later on is generally the damage starts in your hips and your SI joints and then goes up your spine to your neck. But that's not everybody. Some people, it can start in the neck and work down. That's not common, but it does happen. So let's take a look at neck pain from ankylosing spondylitis. 
And this is from an article from a few years ago by uh, Dr. David DeWitt or in the website spinehealth.com. And I'll have a link to this in the show notes. Goes on again to say the basics of ankylosing spondylitis is a form of arthritis that can cause flares of burning pain in the spine. It typically develops in the lower back and the hips, but gradually progresses up toward the neck over time. Some people may go years and only deal with the occasional episodes of intense spinal pain, while others might have frequent flare-ups of the disease continues to spread and get worse. And I can certainly attest to that from personal experience. Mine burned like crazy through my hips in my teens, went up my spine, slowed down, kind of stopped, and I thought it had actually burned out, but it's now starting to affect my neck. So that was kind of the last thing in my spinal structure was my neck that was clear, but not anymore. It's it's working its magic on my neck now. Well, neck pain is not the first symptom to appear with ankylosing spondylitis and sometimes never develops for some. It can be a troubling symptom as it typically appears when the disease has become more advanced. So he goes on to say that this article provides a link to it, can help you research more about ankylosing spondylitis and neck issues. So what are some of the symptoms? Well, with ankylosing spondylitis, the symptoms, as we've mentioned in other episodes, is that spinal stiffness, spinal pain, and it can range from real, real mild for some folks, like a sore backache, which can be why it takes so long to be diagnosed, to the very sharp heavy burning sensations and this is uh, easier to let you know that there's something wrong there more than just a, a backache. It also tends to be that pain is worse when you rest. You know if you're out moving around everything's moving everything's getting kind of limber and that pain subsides a bit at least for me. Then when I sit down holy smokes, it'll come on like a freight train some days and just make it almost impossible for me to sleep. Or if it's real bad, I might fall asleep for a little bit, but wake up multiple times through the night as my body tries to get comfortable. Other things that might develop as you progress along the axial spondyloarthritis path is sensitivity to light. This is probably most common in bouts of uveitis slash iritis. Once you get attacks of those, bouts of those, you'll notice that your vision can get blurry, your sensitivity to light becomes extremely strong, and that's one thing that you want to make sure if you're even thinking you're coming down with a case of uveitis, get into an ophthalmologist as soon as possible. Don't go to a ready-med type clinic uh, because they'll most likely think that you have pink eye and treat it incorrectly and you'll end up in a much, much worse situation within a few days. Another very, very common issue that we deal with with axial spondyloarthritis is lethargy. Now, I'll see many, many posts like this on Facebook, and I'm right there with you. I completely understand. We can feel tired and easily fatigued, and that ebbs and flows. Some days you'll feel fine. Other days the fatigue will be just absolutely unbearable, even when you've had adequate rest. So, unfortunately, I don't think that I've ever seen any reason behind it. Some medications may cause issues with lethargy as well as some medications may help to pick you back up, but it's just part of having AS and there's no, as far as I'm aware, no direct cause except that that your body's fighting the inflammation so that it's tired all the time. That's understandable and, and easily acceptable. You can have pain in other joints as well. It's not just your hips and back. Could be your knees, could be your shoulders, could be fingers. Pretty much any joint can be affected. Doesn't mean 
every joint you have will be affected. You may have just a couple. You may have many. Again, you'll want to make sure that you work with your doctor so that you're aware of what's going on and they're aware of what's going on and you have a proper treatment plan in place. You can also experience chest pain. The cartilage that's between your rib cages can inflame the sternum, all of that. And once that inflames, I've seen people say that they think they're having a heart attack from the absolute pain that they're in. But unfortunately, it's not a heart attack, but it is extremely painful. And then ultimately, as you move along through the progression of AS, you lose spinal mobility. If you saw my spine now, it is all fused. I can hardly bend. Doing certain tasks is virtually impossible. I no longer wear shoes with tie-up laces because I can't tie them up. I've gone to strictly everything with, you know, the elastic band type laces. It's kind of embarrassing at 50 years old, but it is what it is and it's what I deal with. So I have to make all the adaptations that I can. How does ankylosing spondylitis cause neck pain? Well, what happens is AS causes enthesitis, which is the inflammation and the formation of scar tissue where ligaments, tendons, and other soft tissues attach to the bone. This disease processes, which initially affects the lumbar spine, can eventually affect the cervical spine. So for example, enthesitis can lead to more bone formation within a facet joint in the cervical spine, which continues the cycle of more inflammation and more stiffness. Nearby discs may also start to you know, calcify and turn to bone and stiffen as part of the process. And that's what you would see if you looked at one of my x-rays. If you go to my Instagram page, AS underscore podcast, you'll see I post some pictures there of my x-rays. And on those, you will see the calcification of the spine, the bone growth in between the spinal cord and the just solid mass that it is now. It's a mess and it's the reason that I'm kind of always nervous if you get into any type of an accident, a slip and fall, anything. It can cause immense amounts of damage once you're, you have a bamboo spine. You can also have poor posture. Well, AS you know, usually causes pain and swelling in the lower back and hips. Postural changes due to the symptoms in these areas can also contribute to neck pain before the condition spreads to the actual cervical spine. So spinal degeneration in the middle and lower back can cause painful and stiffening spine joints. These in turn can lead to reduced activity levels and weakened muscles. If you're in pain, you're not going to want to go out and exercise, run, lift weights, run on treadmill, whatever it might be, ride a bike. If you're in pain and you have that just excruciating back pain and a deteriorating back, then any of those things are going to be absolutely at best difficult and even more likely impossible. So it creates even more of an issue as you become more lethargic, more sedentary, and other health issues come about. So it's really kind of this vicious cycle as you age and as this disease takes its toll on your body. So more commonly, you know, a person who has AS in the early stages or only in the lower back, they can develop unrelated neck pain from a variety of other causes, such as overuse of the neck or sleeping on it wrong. But as the condition advances, as the disease advances, you can be looking at everything else adding up to neck pain. So then you also want to be aware, as I mentioned with accidents, there's an increased risk for spinal fractures. For patients with advanced AS, the autofusion of the spine's motion segments can lead to long levers of fused spinal segments 
that increase stress in the spine. This is especially important with traumatic events or falls. Stress concentrates through the stiff segments and fractures can occur. In particular, the disc space is the weakest area and the most vulnerable to fractures. That means that even a minor trauma, an AS patient can be left in pain and must be thoroughly evaluated by a doctor to avoid missing fractures. CT scans are indicated to identify the fracture and surgical stabilization is often required to prevent neurological injury. So how does the doctor look at your neck and diagnose you with issues and help you as you move through this? Well, generally, as I mentioned earlier, with the neck pain, that's already advanced stages of AS. And so you should be on a treatment plan of some sort by that point. That will allow you to start to address the issues in the back, the hips, wherever else. So as you go into what's going on in the neck, many of the same things apply, whether you're using a biologic, certain muscle relaxants, just various types of medication, some PT, depending on the severity of it. And so the doctors are going to look at all the symptoms that you're dealing with. They're going to look at your history. They're going to look at the information they've collected over you. They're going to look at the information they've collected on you over the years in dealing with AS. They're going to do a physical exam. Again, this is something you're probably already getting on an at least annual basis from your rheumatologist. You know, the patient's posture is going to be observed for any abnormalities that's suggesting the spinal degeneration, which again, they should know this already from the x-rays they've done of your lower back, but they'll be looking now at the neck area. Can maybe include putting you up against a wall, seeing how you stand, if you can stand flat against that wall, looking at range of motion, breathing, tenderness around the ribs, tightness around the rib cage, and then ultimately the spine's range of motion is all examined. They could also do imaging studies on you, like x-rays, CT scans, an MRI. All of that can be done on the neck or hopefully the full body so you get a great idea of where your spine is at, where your hips are at, how everything is doing at that particular moment in time. There are also some blood tests they can do, but ultimately that's going to be looking for high levels of inflammation, and they're going to, if they haven't diagnosed you with AS yet, they may be looking for HLA-B27 if you don't already know whether you are positive for that or not. So ultimately, as you look at your neck and the diagnosis of AS, hopefully, like I said, by the time you get to a point where your neck is the issue, you are already diagnosed. You already have that treatment plan in place and you're getting what you can do. It doesn't mean that it'll alleviate all the neck pain. You might not alleviate any of the neck pain. That's just the hard, cold truth of it. You know, we all want to be out of pain. We all want to see any type of reduction in pain we can get, but it doesn't mean you'll get any. They'll definitely try to work with you and get you physical therapy if they can, get you moving your neck around, some exercises to help you gain mobility if at all possible. They'll talk to you about lifestyle changes. They'll talk to you about what types of exercise you should do, what types of exercise you shouldn't do. Again, all of this is designed to help you continue to have mobility in your neck. And then, like I said, they'll also focus a lot on um, stretching. That's one thing if you're not doing stretching in the morning when you get up, please do it. Stretch your back, stretch your legs, stretch your neck. Anything you can get to move and start that daily activity, get that stretching going. They'll also talk to you about medications. Kind of talked with that. It's the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, the NSAIDs. 
you know, ibuprofen, naproxen. If you're not on a biologic already, they may prescribe a biologic for you to try. Remember, the first one might not be the one that works for you. You might need to try several of them. So don't let that get you down. Just jump right on. Give it a try. If it doesn't work, tell your doctor. Let's move on to the next one. And remember, the biologic itself is not a pain medication. It's not there to reduce pain. It's there to reduce inflammation and then hopefully slow the progression of the disease. Many patients, through the reduction of the inflammation, do get a reduction of pain, but it's not a pain medication. So that's very important to understand because I see people constantly come on and say, I've been prescribed blah for pain, and that's not what it's for. And if you take it for that, and three or four months in, it's not working because you think it's not reducing pain, even though it is reducing your inflammation. Again, the reduction in inflammation can reduce pain, but it won't reduce pain or eliminate pain from any already previously existing damaged joints. That's why it's so important to get on these type of medications early. The earlier you get on them, the less likelihood that that damage will start or progress very far. You know, I see a lot of folks that say, well, I think I'll just wait until I'm in pain. By that time, you're already dealing with damaged joints, irreversible damaged joints. So again, it's your choice ultimately. It's your choice as to how you manage your condition. I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you as a fully damaged person that's got, you know, drop foot, multiple hip replacements, fused spine, just a mess that I wish I had had the option to use and try biologics almost 40 years ago when I was diagnosed. So make sure to be as aggressive with this as you can so that you have the best quality of life that you can. And then also there are support groups that you can reach out to. There's the support groups on all over Facebook and Instagram and all sorts of different places that talk about and help you work through any issues you're dealing with, with neck pain, hip pain, wherever. We're all here to help. We're all in this together. Ultimately, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. And it's it's just a pleasure. Please keep reaching out to me. I love to hear from you. Go over to AS underscore podcast and join on the Instagram page there. Let me know that you're on Instagram. And I look forward to talking to you. Take care and have a wonderful week.